Y'all got to hear me this morning. Because he didn't just tell us to shout, but he told us how to shout. He said, shout with the voice of triumph. Somebody ought to take a moment in this building and open up your mouth and let hell know I've got victory this morning. Come on, somebody ought to lift your voice and let hell know I'm not on the menu this morning. Devil, I'm not on your hit list this morning. I wish somebody would take about 30 seconds and just move from a posture of defense to a posture of offense. I'm not running. I'm not hiding. I'm not backing up. I'm not slowing down, but I've got victory in my spirit. Come on. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Somebody open your mouth and let hell hear triumph in your voice. Somebody open your mouth and let hell hear victory in your spirit. I wish somebody would. I know it's Sunday morning and you look cute in your Sunday best, but I wish I had a few radical people in the building that would take about 60 seconds and just give God some radical praise. Come on, I dare you to jump out of your seat. I dare you to push your way out of your chair and give God some praise. Ah, come on, we're not waiting for the altar call. We're not waiting for a certain song. We're not waiting. Come on, somebody, give God. Woo! Come on, I dare you to mess up the devil. You're supposed to be chilled out on Sunday morning. You're supposed to relax on Sunday morning. I dare somebody to... My, 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 my. Is there anybody that came to have church today? Now look, I think we might have to do a little hallelujah check in the building this morning. Anybody familiar with a hallelujah check? A hallelujah check is designed to make sure that you're sitting next to the right person in church. Because if you get on the wrong pew with the wrong people, you might be wanting to do something and you're blocked in by doubt and unbelief and people around you that, oh, come on somebody. And I don't know about you, but I didn't come to play games this morning. I didn't come just to check the box. I came to get a breakthrough. I came to get a miracle. I came to get a word from. So, So I teach our people at home to do a hallelujah check. And what you do is turn around and find somebody sitting next to you and tell them hallelujah. 
Now, if they looked at you like you were crazy or they ignored you altogether, uh, grab your stuff uh, and find somewhere else to sit, baby, because you're sitting in the wrong pew. I'm sorry. Uh, I got to find somewhere else. Oh, come on, somebody. Uh, now turn around and tell somebody else, uh, hallelujah. If they shouted back at you, uh, give them a high five and tell them, let's have a church. Yeah. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. Uh, let's have, did anybody come with expectancy in your spirit? Uh, did anybody come ready uh, for God to do? Come on. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not waiting on anybody. Uh, I'm not waiting on anything. Uh, I came ready uh, for what God wants to do uh, in this place. Woo! Hey! Glory! 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 Come on, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise. Woo! Oh, come on, somebody. Somebody ought to clap your hands one more time. Somebody ought to just shout one more time. Woo! Glory! 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 Woo! It feels better in the house of the Lord, amen? <laughs> oh, man. One writer said, come into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. You know what that means? I came in with a shout on my lips. I came in with my praise. I'm not waiting on anybody or anything. Uh, I'm not depending on you to touch Jesus. Uh, I'm not depending on you to worship. Uh, I'm not waiting on you to get your breakthrough. Uh, I came with my praise. Uh, I came with uh, my faith. And the Bible said, uh, don't wait till the altar call. Uh, come in the door uh, with it. Uh, you ought to learn how to walk in this building uh, with a jump in your step. Uh, you ought to learn how to walk in into this place uh, with something in Woo! My, my, my. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? My God. Well, I'm sorry for misbehaving already. But it is such an honor to be in the house of the Lord with you today. I bring you greetings all the way from Fort Myers, Florida, the city of Palms on the beautiful Caloosahatchee River, downtown Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, it is such an honor to be with you. I give great honor this morning to the angel of this house, your magnificent pastor and his wife and the first family. Would you help me put your hands together and honor them with me today? Oh, come on. We can do better than that. If you know you've got the best, would you help me put your hands together and make some noise? Woo! 
Amen. Thank God for your pastor and his family. And uh, so wonderful, I give great honor to the saints of the Most High God this morning. And uh, so wonderful to be with each and every one of you. I greatly appreciate the invitation to come. And uh, I'll tell you what, I feel a spirit of expectancy in this place today. I I feel an atmosphere of the miraculous in this place today. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And God, there's no telling what the Lord wants to do before this day is over. And uh, thank you, um, Pastor uh, Townley, for the amazing accommodations and the wonderful hospitality. And uh, I mean, they have just been treating me so good, feeding me and feeding me and feeding me. And I I don't know if they're just being nice or they're trying to fatten me up for the kill. But I had a little difficult time buttoning this jacket this morning. And uh, I'm thinking about replacing all the thread with 10-pound fishing test line safety thread. I don't want to put nobody's eyeball out in the middle of preaching that that thing comes loose. And uh, But I I have enjoyed myself, and it's such an honor to be here this morning. Where's Where's the musicians at? They just disappeared on me. I, I want to just somebody come play the keys for me real, real nice. Somebody play that, that keyboard for me. Yeah. Hey, Amen. Just give me a little, little background, a little metacrational music. Yeah. Do you play the keyboard, brother? Oh, there she is. Just, just the keyboard's fine. You can just help me worship out there. Just the keyboard's good. Hey, Amen. Hallelujah. I am so thankful for what the Lord is doing. We had a great time yesterday casting vision and getting a hold of what God wants to do in this house and in this town and in this state and in this country and in this world. How many of you believe you can impact the world right here from Jennings? Come on, is there anybody that believes you serve a God that's not bound by geography? Come on, how many of you believe God wants to use you this morning? My, my, my. And uh, I'm so grateful for what we feel. I want to obey the Holy Ghost this morning. Is that all right? And uh, I I promise you tonight we we might be swinging from the chandeliers. Who knows what's going to happen tonight? But early this morning as I uh, was preparing for service, I felt like the Lord just pulled me in a particular direction. And uh, and it is... It, it would be remiss of me to uh, not follow what I feel like the Lord would ask me to do this morning. Amen. So I'm going to follow the Holy Ghost. If you would grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of John, chapter number eight this morning, the book of John, chapter eight. Now, while you're getting your Bibles, why don't you turn around and shake about three or four people's hands standing next to you and let them know how excited you are to see them in the house of the Lord. Come on, help me. Don't leave anybody untouched. Somebody in front of you, behind you, beside you. You might have to span the aisle, but find three or four people and just tell them how excited you are to see them in the house of the Lord today. Hallelujah. High five somebody tell them. Let's have church. 
Welcome into this place. Welcome into this broken vessel. You desire to dwell in the praises of your people. So we lift our hands and we lift our hearts as we offer up this praise unto your name. Come on, lift your hands with me and sing it this morning. Welcome into this place. Oh, welcome into this road. Sing it. Yet you choose. Come on. In the praises of your people, so we offer. Come on. And we lift our hearts as we offer up this praise, this praise unto your name. Come on, one more time, lift your hands and tell them, welcome into this place. Yeah. Would you welcome Jesus into this broken one more time and give God some praise. Woo. Glory. 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 John chapter number 8 verse number 1 is where I want to invite you to read the word of the Lord with me this morning. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he 
heard them not. And so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Verse number five said, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And for a few moments this morning, I simply want to preach to somebody in this building. This isn't how your story ends. This isn't how your story ends. Can we put our Bibles down and clap our hands unto the Lord one more time in this sanctuary right now? Oh, let's give him some worship in this place. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Several years ago, I took my family to the small town where my mother is from. And I wanted to show my boys where their great-grandparents, whom they never had a chance to meet, lived. And where their grandmother grew up and some of the places that, that I lived as a young boy. And I wanted to try and impart to them some of their journey, some of their history. And so using the town as the backdrop to my storyline, I tried to recount to my boys the story behind their grandparents and their grandmother and my very early childhood and tried to give them some context of what brought our family to the place that it is today and ultimately hand to them part of their very own story. And so we visited the houses that everyone lived in and the schools that they went to and the little old building that used to be the church that my grandfather uh, pastored and the hills where I played as a young boy and numerous other landmarks of family significance. And as part of the journey that day, we stopped by the local cemetery where both great-grandparents had been laid to rest alongside of each other, as well as their great-great-grandfather and grandmother and numerous other family members from our history lay at rest. And I had not been there since I was a young teenager, and so 
I could not remember exactly where their resting place was located in the cemetery. And as I walked around the cemetery that day, my mind and my heart flooded with the memories of my life's story. It occurred to me that every headstone that I passed by, every monument was a reminder that resting in that particular place was a story. Every one of those memorials contained four things. A dash representing the timeline of their story, a date and a name marking the beginning of their story, and for everyone in that place, a date marking the end of their story. And as I came upon the memorial marking the resting place of both of my grandparents, I saw the dates marking their birth and their death. My grandfather's story began in 1911 and ended in 1996. He would have been 108 years old had he still been alive today. My grandmother's story began in 1920 and ended in 1994. And she would be 99 years old if she were alive today. And as I looked at the little dash in between their birth dates and the date of their passing, I realized that their story was actually part of my very own. And I could tell the story about those two dashes on my grandparents' monument that day. I, I could tell the story and how it began and how it ended, but what about all of those other stories lying in that cemetery that day? How did they start and how or why did they end? For a brief time as a much younger man in between jobs, I was employed for a short period of time at a funeral home. And for every person that was brought to that place, they were brought there because their story had come to an end. And every day I was introduced to the ending of stories. Some stories had endings that were simply the natural cessation of life. But for some, the end of their story was much more complicated. Events and tragedies that had brought many of them to an end of their story prematurely. Their story had been abbreviated. And as the stories would often be told, you could see in the history of their story pieces of the puzzle that would lead them to an untimely ending. Choices that they made and life situations, some of them beyond their control, and roads and paths that they decided to walk down that led them to the abrupt and unexpected ending of their own story. I remember as a young boy, there used to be these storybooks, some of you may recall, that became very popular called Choose Your Own Adventure Stories. Anybody remember those Choose Your Own Adventure books? It was only two of us, sister, and I remember them books. 
But the Choose Your Own Adventure books were very unique because what would happen is somewhere in the beginning of the story, the author would put the reader in the driver's seat of the story. And there would come a point in time in the storyline in which you as the reader would be making decisions for the character of the story. And depending on what choices that you made, you would turn the book to a particular page to continue the story based on that decision. And that's how the story would go, and you would be you would become the person in that story making choices. And depending on <clears throat> the choices that you made, <clears throat> the story would have different endings, and you might pick one choice that brought the story to a close in some kind of tragedy or some kind of unfavorable ending. But what made the stories so popular is that you could back up in the book uh, to the last place that you left off uh, and you could change the decision that you made and pick a different choice uh, and it would take the storyline in a different direction and the stories would have different endings and multiple storylines that would branch from the main character and in our text this morning we are introduced to a lady a nameless woman who most believe was Mary Magdalene whom the Bible says was caught in the very act of adultery. We are not privy to the details of her situation. We are not privy to the history of this young lady and, and the decisions and the circumstances that brought her to this place where she is being brought to justice. Uh, suffice to say that nobody plans for this kind of a life. Nobody, when their child is young, looks at them as they hold that precious little child and says, oh, baby girl, one of these days you're going to be an adulteress. One of these days, you're going to be a fornicator. One of these days, you're going to be a woman of ill repute. One of these days, your life is going to be full of tragedy. What nobody makes those kind of plans for their life. And we are not privy to the details of her history, but somewhere in this woman's story, her life began to take a turn that she probably uh, never uh, expected. Uh, somewhere in her life, uh, her story began to take a road uh, that she never uh, would have chosen herself. Uh, modern studies today tell us uh, that young ladies in this position uh, typically have a history uh, of a broken home, uh, maybe no father in their life, uh, or they were abused by somebody uh, in a position of trust. Uh, we don't know what the situation was, but whatever it was, this young lady found herself at a dead end road. She found herself in a place that no doubt she wishes she could go back and change some of the decisions that she had made. No doubt she 
found herself uh, in a place uh, where she wished uh, she could have gone back uh, and done some things uh, a little bit differently. Uh, I wonder if there's anybody beside me in this building uh, that has ever been in a place uh, in your life uh, where you said, God, uh, if I could do that over again, uh, I would do it differently. Uh, there's some things uh, that I would have changed. Uh, is there anybody in the building uh, that has ever been uh, in a dead-end road uh, in your life uh, and said, if I could, uh, I would not have done that. Uh, if I could, uh, I would have avoided this. Uh, if I could, uh, I would have changed uh, what I did uh, in my life. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but I have found myself at some dead-end roads where I wish my story was different. And this woman finds herself literally at the end of her story. When they found her, they had been trying to capture her. They had been trying to catch her from all indications of Scripture. That They had been observing her and waiting for the right moment. And finally, they caught her in the very act. And they knew what the law said, that this woman was to be stoned to death for her trespasses. And so I can only imagine as they grabbed her by the arm and begin to lead her down the road. Uh, she knew uh, that this uh, was it, uh, that she was on death row, is, as it were. Uh, I can imagine those men telling her, uh, oh, uh, do you have any last words? Uh, is there anything you need to do before uh, this day is over? Uh, because this is going to be the end uh, of your story. Uh, and I can just imagine in her mind's eye uh, probably thoughts that said, uh, I never imagined uh, that this would happen to me. Uh, I never thought uh, that this is how my life uh, would turn out. Uh, I never expected uh, that these would be some of the things uh, that I would have to deal with. Uh, she probably had plans in her mind uh, that one of these days uh, life is going to be different. Uh, one of these days uh, I'm going to come out of this trouble. Uh, one of these days uh, I'm going to escape uh, the clutches uh, of what I'm dealing with. Uh, but her time uh, ran out uh, and she was at the end of her story. Probably her life flashing before her eyes, plans and aspirations of her life. I, I always wanted to do this and I always wanted to be that, but, but life brought me to a place that I never expected. And she's at the end of her story. There's a story of two young people, two children that were born into a family. They were born into a family with generations of dysfunction. They were born into a family with generations of alcoholism and abuse and trouble and divorce. This young boy and his sister were born into a family, born in into adversity. It was the only thing they knew. They, they, they didn't know life any other way. And as is the case in so many of these situations, this young boy and his sister, when their parents divorced and split up, this was decades ago, they didn't have too many options and they lived with their mother. Their father was a, an extreme alcoholic and very abusive to them. 
And so they lived with their mother, but their mother lived a life full of licentious partying, and she had different men in and out of the house. And so was the case that they grew up in this environment. The woman had a man that she was engaged to that had become very familiar at the home. He would stay there many days of the week. The problem is that the cycle of dysfunction was continuous. And this, this man would, would fight and fuss with, with their mother and, and, and sometimes it would get violent and there would be things thrown and, and, and it would become physical and it was nothing new or strange to these two children and they had learned that in these moments uh, that they would just tune it out and go on about their life. <clears throat> and so one morning they were getting ready for school. And as it would, some mornings there was chaos that broke out at the house and their mother and this man were fighting and fussing and arguing and, 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 and it just kept getting worse and they already knew to just keep getting ready for school and when they finished getting ready for school, they grabbed their backpacks and they walked out of the door and began to walk uh, down the street to the school that they were going to, leaving behind their mother in this situation. And they had not traveled very far by foot when all of the sudden they heard a sound that sounded like a gunshot or a firecracker. Knowing what they had just walked out of from their home, something inside of them uh, became worried. Uh, and the young man who was 13 years old uh, and his little sister turned around uh, and they ran back to the house uh, as fast as they could. Uh, and as they were making their way uh, up the front porch, uh, they heard another sound. Uh, this time it was unmistakable that it was coming from in the house uh, and almost certainly uh, was the sound of a gunshot. When they opened the door to the house, there lying in the living room with a gun in his hand and his brains all over the wall was the mother's boyfriend who had shot himself. The kids in absolute panic begin to run through the house. Mama, mama, where are you, mama? Finally, they flung open the door to one of the bathrooms in the house only to find their mother slumped in a pool of blood in the bathtub with her head blown apart by that gunshot wound. He had shot and killed their mother and then turned the gun on himself. Thirteen-year-old boy and his little sister walked in you can only imagine the devastation and the emotional trauma that happened to these children who had already lived a life that was very difficult. In those days, they didn't have the kind of social programs that we have today and the kind of help that we have in those situations. And their only opportunity, their only option was to go back and live with their alcoholic father. 
So they move back in with an alcoholic father who continues to be abusive and, and angry. Uh, and, 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 and they're growing up in this. Uh, and you can only imagine uh, the, the mentality uh, and, and the, the, the trauma taking place in the life uh, of these two young people. Uh, and this young man is in his teenage years. Uh, he's 13 when his mama's killed. Uh, 14, 15. Uh, and pent up anger uh, and rage uh, and dealing with an abusive father uh, and the dysfunction of his family uh, until finally uh, at the age of 18 uh, when he didn't think he could handle it anymore. Uh, this was during the Vietnam era. Uh, he made a decision uh, that his only hope uh, was to leave his house uh, and join the military. And so he leaves uh, home at the age of 18 uh, and he joins the army uh, where they begin to teach and to train this man uh, how to channel uh, his anger uh, and how to use uh, and weaponize uh, his rage. Uh, and they put a machine gun in his hand uh, and dropped him in the jungles of Vietnam uh, as a war raging, uh, killing machine uh, full of fury, uh, full of anger uh, that is now channeled uh, at being a trained man of war. During his course of the Vietnam War, he was introduced, as many men were, to recreational drugs. And so now to compound the challenges of his heart and his mind, he is now addicted to drugs and becomes a drug user. Finally, when his time in the service is over, he is discharged back into society and expected to behave himself as a normal citizen of our country. A young man full of hurt and pain. One day he's at a restaurant eating and a beautiful woman who is waiting his table, the waitress, begins to talk to him and one thing leads to another. They exchange phone numbers. They begin to call one another and date one another. And one thing leads to another and they are eventually married. And within a short amount of time, they have children. This man had no idea that the woman he was talking to was the backslidden child of an apostolic preacher. They get married and She's living a life of sin and partying and, and he's living a life of sin and partying and, and so the dysfunctional cycles continue. And, and after a little while, they, they bore two children, a little boy and a little girl that were 18 months apart. And the man did the only thing he knew to do. He, he was never showed what a father was supposed to be like. He, he didn't know how to show love. He, he didn't know how to be responsible with the family uh, and so the cycle uh, continued uh, with his children uh, and from the young ages uh, as toddlers uh, and little babies uh, they begin to experience uh, the anger uh, and the wrath uh, of their father uh, who would come home uh, in drunken rage uh, and would beat the family senseless. Uh, there are pictures of uh, the mother where her face uh, is unrecognizable because of the beatings uh, that took place. Uh, there were times that he would come uh, and grab there's a story where he grabs uh, the little boy uh, in a fit of anger uh, and he's holding him by his feet uh, and throws him and slams him uh, up against the wall uh, as a little toddler uh, then picks him up by the hair of his head uh, punching him closed fist in the face 
In another instance, the little boy uh, is, is just old enough where he's trying to learn uh, how to eat his food with utensils, uh, and he's sitting on his high chair at the end of the table, uh, and the drunken father uh, is getting frustrated because he's dropping his food, uh, and finally, in anger and rage, uh, he punches the little boy, uh, knocking him flying through the air uh, off of his seat uh, into the floor. Another time, the the wife thought that she would uh, call the police in an escalated situation. And when the police came, uh, he had her at gunpoint uh, behind the door uh, with a rag around her mouth uh, that if she made a single sound, uh, he would blow her brains out. In another situation, uh, he had a knife to her neck uh, and then a knife to the neck of the children threatening their lives. This lady finally won Dave, he came home in a drunken rage and beat the family and then passed out in his bed drunk. And it was a moment where she had finally had enough. And in her mind, she thought to herself, if I don't do something, me and my children are going to wind up dead. And she walked into the kitchen and she opened the drawer of kitchen knives and she began to look uh, and try to decide which one uh, would do the best job uh, at taking the life of her husband while he slept. Uh, she knew this would be her only chance uh, if he was passed out in drunk uh, in a drunk uh, that she could maybe grab that knife uh, and put an end to the nightmare. <sighs> And as she stood in that kitchen contemplating uh, which knife to use, uh, something from her childhood, uh, something from the, uh, from the, the history of her life uh, reached into her mind uh, and grabbed a hold of her uh, and shook her uh, to a reality uh, that if she followed through with this, uh, she would surely seal uh, the fate of the future of her kids. She put the knife down trembling uh, fell into the floor sobbing, not knowing what to do. The next morning when the man left for work, she called a battered women's shelter. She was living in the state of Mississippi at the time. She called a battered women's shelter and explained to them the trouble that she was in. They said, we'll come and get you. She said, I've got a short window of time. If you're going to come, we've got to do it now because I'm afraid if he comes back from work and finds me trying to leave, he'll kill me on the spot. She grabbed everything she could for her and her two babies, a little four-year-old boy at this time and a three-year-old girl. She put everything she could into that suitcase and she made her way several blocks from the house walking dragging that suitcase and her babies to a rendezvous point at which they came and picked her up and took her to a woman's shelter. From there, she caught a bus back to her home state and her hometown where her mother and father lived and some of her family members. And for the moment, she had escaped the danger of that situation, but she had not escaped the bondage of sin in her life. 
And so even though she had brought herself from that scenario, she continued to live a life uh, of, of ill repute uh, in and out of the bars. Uh, the kids grew up on a first-name basis uh, with all of the bartenders uh, in the city. Uh, and she was an alcoholic, and she would host parties at her house, and people would be there getting high and getting drunk. Uh, and these two children uh, continued to grow up uh, in the cycle. And she had uh, another man that she met who was one of the town drunks. Uh, she met him at the bar, uh, and eventually he became a live-in boyfriend uh, and became uh, like, like a stepfather to the kids, uh, except for he was abusive as well. And so now uh, this little boy and this little girl uh, are growing up uh, cycle uh, after cycle uh, as the storyline uh, just continues uh, to move forward. Uh, and you can imagine now another young boy uh, who is growing up uh, in bitterness, uh, in anger, uh, in hurt, uh, in abandon, uh, no father. Uh, why am I living this way? Uh, and the little boy started getting himself uh, at the age of 10 years old. Uh, he started getting into trouble, uh, fights at school, uh, kicked out of school, uh, anger issues, uh, problems here, uh, problems over there, uh, until finally uh, at the age uh, of 12 years old, uh, he was in the streets. Uh, he took his first ride uh, in the back of a cop car uh, with handcuffs uh, at the age of 11 years old. Uh, at 13 years old, uh, none of the schools even wanted to let him come back uh, to schools because uh, of his troubles uh, and his anger uh, and his fighting. Uh, and you can imagine uh, at the age of 14, uh, he, he began to hang with the gangs uh, and he was running the streets uh, with gangs. You say, Pastor Williams, uh, you seem very acquainted with the story. Uh, that's because I uh, was that little boy Boy, uh, that was running the streets uh, with a story uh, that the devil said uh, this uh, is how uh, your story uh, ends uh, and I can remember uh, as a 14 year old boy uh, the devil whispering uh, in my ear uh, saying boy uh, it's over with uh, you're going to be just like uh, your daddy was uh, you're going to do the same thing uh, your father did uh, you're not good for anything uh, you'll never amount to anything uh, but I remember the day uh, that I stumbled uh, into an apostolic church uh, at the age uh, of 14 uh, years old uh, and I walked to an altar uh, and I fell uh, on my face uh, and can I tell you what I felt uh, for the first time in my life uh, I felt the arms uh, of a loving father uh, wrapped themselves uh, around me uh, and for the first time uh, in my life uh, I felt the love uh, of a father uh, and I said this uh, is what I've been looking for uh, my whole uh, life uh, this is what I've been waiting for uh, my whole life <laughs> I caught up from that altar and I was baptized that night uh, in the name of Jesus Christ uh, for the remission of my sins. Uh, and a week later, I received the Holy Ghost uh, speaking in tongues uh, as the Spirit gave uh, the utterance. I came to tell somebody, uh, this isn't how uh, your story uh, ends. <laughs> Woo! I feel the Holy Ghost uh, 
because sitting in this building today uh, are some people uh, that have heard the voice uh, of the enemy telling you uh, you'll never aspire to your dreams. Uh, you can never get out of the trouble uh, that you're in. Uh, your history uh, has limited you. Uh, you know what you've done. Uh, you know where you've been. Can I tell you that God began to work on this young boy? At the age of 15, I went to my first youth camp. And at that youth camp, B.J. Wilmoth was preaching. And he began to preach a message called Crosses You Never Intended to Carry. And he began to preach about Simon of Cyrene uh, who was on the road that day uh, as Jesus passed by uh, and the soldiers grabbed the cross of Jesus uh, and put it on the back uh, of Simon. Uh, a cross uh, that Simon didn't choose. Uh, a choice uh, and a burden uh, that if he could have, uh, he would not have carried uh, the blood uh, and the gore uh, and the weight. Uh, and I thought to myself, uh, I'm a boy. Uh, if I could have chosen, uh, I wouldn't have chose the life uh, that I was living. Uh, but you read in the book of Acts, uh, you read about Simon's son, uh, Rufus, uh, and his children uh, that are a part of the New Testament church uh, because God knows uh, that there are some crosses uh, you never intended to carry uh, that were meant uh, for your glory. Uh, there are some things in your history uh, that if you had a choice, uh, you would not have had it that way. Uh, but God works all things uh, together uh, for good. And as he began to preach, uh, there was a 15-year-old boy uh, that came to an altar uh, and said, God, uh, I don't understand why uh, I've been through what I've been through, uh, but I give it to you, uh, and I know you can do something uh, with my broken life. Uh, I know you can do something uh, with the pain uh, and the tragedy uh, of my spirit. It was that night that the Holy Ghost... Uh, begin to call a 15-year-old boy. And as I was laying in that altar, the voice of the enemy kept telling me, your story's over. What are you thinking? You'll never do anything for God. You can never be here. You're not good enough. You're disqualified. No, no man even wanted to be your father. You've been rejected. You ain't nothing but trouble. They didn't even want you back at the school. But then there was another voice that silenced the first. And it was the voice of God that began to speak to me and say, this isn't how your story ends. Randy Williams this is not the end uh, of your story uh, and where the devil uh, wants to put a period. Uh, I'm telling you to turn uh, the page uh, because I've got more for you uh, than what you ever uh, imagined uh, I can do. Uh, I came to preach uh, to somebody uh, in this building. Uh, this uh, isn't uh, how uh, your story uh, ends. Uh, I know you're dealing with situations uh, that if you could change them, uh, you would, uh, but but God sent me uh, all the way to Jennings, uh, Louisiana this morning uh, to tell you uh, there's more uh, to your story. Uh, God's got another chapter. Uh, God's got another page. Uh, God
God's going to do something. Who am I preaching to in this building? The devil has told you that you're limited. You might as well quit dreaming. You might as well quit trying. You might as well settle. I came to tell you that the devil is a liar. This isn't how your story ends. A young man who was a teenage statistic, a young man that society would have put their money, would have ended up dead or in prison before the age of 18. A young man who already had run-ins with the law and at the age of 15-year-old, God began to raise me up. I started preaching at the age of 15 years old in the face of a devil that said your story is over. And I'm telling you, God blessed me over and over and over again. The least likely to make it, the least likely to succeed, the least likely to live for God. And God kept opening door after door. At the age of 18, I got married. And I'm happy to report to you that almost 24 years later, I'm still married to the same woman. Now that might not be anything for you to shout about, but it's been generations of people in my family that were divorced, that were separated, that never made it. But I came to declare that there's more to your story. I remember the night uh, I was 18 years old uh, standing in an altar uh, with my brand new wife uh, and I didn't know uh, if I could really do it uh, and the devil said you know uh, your daddy had a woman uh, after woman uh, after woman you'll never keep your marriage together uh, and I remember the night uh, that God spoke to me uh, and said son uh, I've broken the curse uh, over your life uh, by the power uh, of my blood uh, I've broken the curse uh, off of your life Oh, somebody. Because this isn't how your story ends. The devil said it was over, but God just kept turning the page. God kept turning the page. God blessed me with two amazing boys of my very own. And I can remember Brother Townley crawling on the floor saying, God, you've got to help me because I don't know how to be a daddy. I don't know how to be a father. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. And I remember the day that my oldest son turned four years old. And we were sitting at the kitchen table and they brought his birthday cake. And everybody was singing happy birthday. But I was standing in the corner, tears rolling down my face. And nobody in that room would have understood. But my daddy left me when I was four years old. And all I could think at that moment was, I'm still here. He's four years old, uh, and I'm still here. Uh, his daddy's still in the home, uh, and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, and now my boy uh, is 18 years old, uh, and I'm still here, uh, and he still has a father. Uh, why? Uh, because this isn't uh, how uh, your story uh, ends. Uh, 
Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what kind of trouble is in your past. If you can believe God today, your story's not over. Your story isn't over. But God began to open up doors and use me in ways that I never thought I would be used. I've preached in countries all around the world. I'm humbled and privileged to pastor one of the most amazing churches on the planet Earth. And my life is blessed beyond measure. Because this isn't how your story ends. As we stand all over this building, I'm preaching to some people today that the devil would love to drag you to a place of finality and get you to believe it's over. And as that woman stood there bracing for the impact of those stones, the voice of a loving God said, I'm sorry, it's not over. I'm sorry, I've got something else for you today. And I'm preaching to somebody in this building. You're not here on accident this morning. You're not here just because it's a routine. But the divine hand of God brought you to this place this morning to hear this preacher tell you this isn't how your story ends. I close with this this morning. There was a master chess champion that was walking through an art gallery and he came across a painting that fascinated him. It was a painting of a young man sitting at a table playing a game of chess with the devil. The painting that hung in the Lavur Art Museum was called Checkmate. It was painted by Frederick Moritz August Rausch And it's now in the private hands after being sold at Christie's in 1999. But this painting depicts two chess players. One is Satan, whom appears arrogantly confident. And the other player is a man who looks forlorn. If Satan wins, he gets the man's soul. And the artist had most graphically depicted the point in the game where it was apparently the young man's move. And he seemed just to realize the fact that he had lost the game. The agony of despair being shown in every line of his features and his attitude while the devil from the opposite side of the table gloated over him with fiendish delight. At first glance, it looks as if the man is losing. As one looks at the painting, one can almost hear the devil shouting, Checkmate! Game over! I win! There was a look of glee on the face of the enemy and panic on the face of the young man. As the master chess champion observed the painting, he felt uncomfortable. He was a master chess champion, and there was something about the painting that just wasn't right. 
Finally, he called for the curator of the gallery and asked him to take the painting down. When that didn't work, he demanded to meet the artist. He said, the game is not over. It's a lie. He said, we must find the person who painted the picture and tell him that he must change the picture or he must change the title. The meeting was arranged and the master chess champion arrived with the chessboard and the chess pieces and he set the board up exactly as the artist arranged it in the painting and he said, there is something wrong with your painting. When the artist inquired as to what that might be, the master chess champion stated, you have entitled the painting Checkmate. But that implies that the young man has no more moves to make make. Uh, the chess champion reached over to the board uh, and moved the young man's king uh, one more space uh, and said, uh, the devil uh, is now checkmated. Uh, and when the king uh, has one more move, uh, the game uh, is not yet uh, over. Uh, and I came to preach uh, to somebody in this building uh, that you still have uh, one uh, more uh, move. Uh, I know the devil has told you uh, checkmate. The devil has told you your story is over. But I'm telling you that the king brought you here today and said you've got one more move. If I can get you to an altar. If I can get you to lift your hands. If I can get you to lift your voice. I can take you out of the hand of your enemy and bring victory uh, to your life. Uh, come on, all over this building. Uh, I need somebody to respond uh, to the Holy Ghost. Uh, if you're here right now uh, and God is talking to you, uh, jump out of your seat uh, and run to this altar. Uh, you've got one uh, more uh, move. Uh, you need to move right now uh, to this altar uh, and throw your hands in the air uh, because your story uh, isn't over yet. Uh, the game uh, is not finished. God still has another plan. God still has another move. God still wants to do something in your life. Come on. Here they come. Church, would you help me pray? I need everybody to come to this altar. Everybody get as close as you can. Hands are lifted. Church, look around. I want you to help me to begin to pray with somebody right now. Come on, lift up your voice. The devil told you it's over. The devil told you you might as well give up. The enemy told you you might as well throw in the towel. But God sent me to preach to you that this isn't how your story ends. Come on. God wants to turn the page. Come on. You've got one more move. Come on. Don't you dare just sit there uh, this morning uh, while God speaks to you. Uh, don't you dare uh, let the enemy talk you uh, into being still this morning. Uh, you've got one more move. Uh, come on, get as close as you can to this altar. Uh, come on. Uh, scoot as close as you can. Uh, let's make room. Here they come. Uh, come on. Uh, Church, I need you to be sensitive uh, to the Holy Ghost. Uh, and I need you to help me pray right now. Uh, come on, look to your left, look to your right. Uh, help me begin to pray. Uh, your story's not over. Uh, your 
storm. I know you've been hurt. I know you've got pain. I know life dealt you a blow. I know your life wasn't what you expected. I know there's some things that you would change. But I'm telling you this morning, this isn't how your story ends. Come on. God's still writing your story. God's still got another plan. God still has some things for you. Come on. Come on, lift up your voice. Come on, lift up your voice. Come on, lift up your voice. Oh, God. I need you. God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Come on, right now. Your story's not over. Come on, your story isn't over.
Come on. Come on. God's doing it right now. God's doing it right now.
hearts and let him take you deep this morning. Let the Holy Ghost take you deep this morning. 